HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch, grass-fed beef raised on California's central coast. Now available online through Larder Meat Company. Learn more at hearstranch.com. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Heine Zachariasen. We'll talk to Heine about wine and Vivino. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Heine Zachariasen hails from the Faroe Islands, grew up in Denmark, and attended college in Copenhagen. He became a software developer and serial entrepreneur. Heine founded Vivino in 2011 with T. Sondergaard. Today, Vivino is the world's largest online marketplace and most downloaded wine app, driven by a community of 50 million users, over a billion five wine label scans, and a new round of funding for continued growth. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Heine. Very pleased to be here. Thank you for having me. Heine, we're talking to you remotely. Where are you right now? I'm actually in Copenhagen, Denmark. Oh, you are? Yes. I thought maybe you were in uh, San Francisco. I couldn't figure out the time difference. Um, we're talking 10 a.m. Uh, in New York time. So you, what time is it by you? It's 3 p.m. here. Okay, perfect. Um, all right, Heine, I want to get right into it. Um, I always like my uh, listeners to get a, a good sense of who you are and where you came from. Um, you certainly did a lot before you got to, you know, Vivino. So can you, don't take too much time on this, but take us through it. Um, can you give us a little background on your journey in life and wine that got you to Vivino? We'll get sure. into Vivino later. Just, you know, give me more of the chronology. Yeah, for sure. Well, like you said, I was born in a very, very small place called the Faroe Islands in the, in the middle of the, the North Atlantic. And actually grew up there too so spent the first 22 years oh, on these okay. islands yes um which is different right it's 50,000 people <laughs> uh, but it's it's a 
it's a super cool place and has become so much more interesting since I lived there. So anyone who wants to see something very unique should definitely definitely go there. Imagine we have a two-star Michelin restaurant in a place wow. with 50,000 people. That's kind of rare, right? Yeah, for sure. So, so I grew up there and went to school in, in, in Denmark and, and sort of stayed there actually for the next 20 years. Uh, but yeah. I've always been an entrepreneur. Like I've always, you know, wanted to build stuff. I, I think, you know, we, we sometimes say when we, we played with Legos when I was a kid was that, you know, I love the building part of Legos. But when once I was done building it, I didn't really want to play with it. Right. So it's always right. the building part that's interesting. And, and, and you said in the intro, I was a software developer. I mean... I was never educated in anything near engineering, but but definitely have spent the last twenty years of my life in some kind of you know product software development, whatever you want you want to call it. So uh, the first sort of big thing I did was with also with Thais, my current co-founder, uh, was a company called Bullguard. Uh, I wasn't the founder, but sort of you know grew with that business, and it was actually in software security and. When when we got to the end of that venture, the company is still around, doing doing pretty well, I think. But when we got to the end of that, I said to myself, you know what, you know, the software part, the building part, I love all that, but I'm not, you know, particularly passionate about security or computer security. So I wanted to do something more fun. So can we build something in that space that's that's more interesting than than software security? And that's where wine comes in, obviously. Okay. Um... So that that was the segue into when you started the idea of Avino, which you know was over a decade ago, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that brings us up to current. I want to ask you a few things before we get a little deeper into um, Avino. Like I said, um, you know, the past few months doing the show, I've spoken to a lot of Psalms, restaurant people retailers, winemakers, you know, asking them the obvious question, the effect the pandemic had on them. Um, You know, you're in a unique situation and I haven't spoken to anyone, you know, in your type of, you know, business. Um, So I'm curious to hear, um, you know, the effect the pandemic had. We know, you know, alcohol consumption, it had an effect, restaurant, retail. Talk to me about, you know, all those things and effective of, you know. Yeah, sure. I think, you know, also first I want to, you know, how this hit people and, you know, incredibly talented people that suddenly couldn't do their job. You mentioned Psalms and restaurateurs and so on. It's just sure. incredibly sad to watch, obviously, and, and wish them all the best and, and hope we can support them as much as we can uh, for the future. Yeah. Um, for us, it had a different effect, obviously, because, you know, people were at home and, and they wanted still wanted to drink wine. And, and that consumption and also, you know, how to buy that wine changed. And, and we, you know, in the beginning, it was like we weren't sure. When we hit February of last year, we started seeing something in in Hong Kong. Uh, we're also ah. we also, and we said, "Hey, what is this? What are we going to do?" So we actually started up by pushing the brakes. So we said, "Okay, take down marketing, no new hires, all those things that you would do when you don't know what's coming." Right. So we, that's the first thing we actually did. And then as we hit mid-March, uh, just around the 20th, yeah, well, just around this time, about a, a year, year ago, yeah. um, things started to growing and they just kept going, right? We just saw our sales really increase like crazy. So the biggest month was April and uh, and we saw like, I can't remember, like April 
was like 3x growth of the same month a year before, whereas we have had sort of steady growth uh, throughout right. our lives. So it just exploded in a month or so, which gave us a lot of problems too, but obviously an incredible opportunity to really you know, grow right. the business quickly. So that was obviously people were not at it, out at restaurants and even you know walking into retailers, which at that time were probably closed. So the shift was very beneficial to you. For sure, yeah, it was. Yeah, and, yeah, and and uh, yeah, and we also saw that they used it a little bit differently, right? So we, we well, noticed. I wanted that- to ask you how <laughs> how did people's habits change? You know what what changed? Yeah, a, a couple of things I think. Obviously, you know, the first thing we we were also a little bit concerned in the beginning, right? Because our growth is based on people meeting each other, right? So so around seventy percent of our growth is word of mouth. So twenty thousand people install the Vino every single day. And most of that is people, you know, sitting together, dining together and so on. So we actually saw a slowdown in the virality in the beginning. Again, that also was over within a few months or so. But but it just gives an idea, but you don't really know where you are. But when it comes to the usage of the app, we noticed that, you know, weekdays became bigger, weekends became smaller. Right. And we saw that people used, we have this seller function where you can sort of get organized, which people obviously never have time. They want to drink their wine, not organize it. Um, and people started doing that too. So so we saw quite a few things change in, in the pattern that people use the app. And obviously they started ordering a lot more than we'd, we'd seen before. So do you think that pushes towards the new norm or gradually as things change, gradually, you know, they'll move back to, you know, the older habits or it'll be a, a little of both. Yeah, I think I think we are on a certain path right now. Right. So so when I look at the graph of sort of penetration of e-commerce and that's not just wine, that's basically any industry. What we saw in 2020 was a shift upwards. Right. But I see that graph just continuing. I mean, April, May were unique months. And for us, they were also like insane, but then it sort of came down, but at a new level, that's the difference, right? So right. it came down and then landed a new level, which was much, much higher because it is really, really hard to change people's habits. But once they've changed them, once they've seen the advantages of not dragging 12 bottles from the local retailer, right. they're not going to go back. Right. So there'll, there'll be some benefits. Um it's interesting. You know, like I said, when I asked you the question, you're in a unique position. Um, you know, you, you mentioned a few changes, you know, I don't know if I'd call them trends, but patterns or indications, you know, where people, the weekdays are stronger than the weekends. I'm curious about interesting trends you've seen in the past year. Um, you know, product wise, did people switch what they were drinking? Um, was price a point? I mean, what, what were some of the notes? Because I, I know you have incredible data and I know you track everything and you even post it on the site. But what sure. are some of the significant things or interesting things to you, you know, that you saw through this pandemic? Yeah, I think honestly, the the change in usage, meaning what people drank and so on, was not 
sort of really, really significant. That, that, okay. That's not been our impression, honestly. And again, they, they, they started drinking a little bit earlier. I don't know if that's good or bad, but, but they did. <laughs> and and uh, that we saw. Another thing that we saw, which I think was a, a big deal for the industry, was that suppliers came to us at a totally new level, right? So, so obviously some of them would supply a lot to restaurants and suddenly they lost that. So, right. so I think the trend there, whereas, you know, some suppliers, some producers, you know, we don't need Vivino, we don't need online, uh, we'll just, you know, do what we've done for 100 years. That, I think the industry has reached a tipping point, a tipping point where you cannot ignore an online e-commerce strategy anymore. Like you have to have that because, you know, if it was 4% of, of the industry, fine, ignore it. But now right. we've reached a new level where it has to be a part of your business. Right. That's interesting. Um, so in tough times, you know, you were able to uh, really dig in and flourish, which is, you know, nice to hear. Um, let's talk about Vivino a little. You know, you alluded to it earlier and, you know... From me doing my research, you really weren't a wine guy. I mean, I have great stories of people growing up in wine families or the typical Italian family with wine on the table or <laughs> kids getting schlepped to all these trips around the world and being exposed to wine. That wasn't you. So, you know, the next obvious question is, so how did a wine app come about? I mean, something <laughs> happened where, you know, topically this was good for you. Yeah, I think it's interesting, right? And I might, you know, you might have an opinion about that too. Is it, was I successful? Were we successful because I wasn't a wine guy? Or was it just more random, right? And and my theory might be that we were successful because both my co-founder and I came out of the industry. So our understanding of the casual wine drinker was better than the kid that grew up on a on a farm in Burgundy, right? Because they were so into it and, and the thinking, how the industry thinks, and we didn't think like that. We right. only thought about, hey, how do we make life better for the casual wine drinker, the people that spend all the money on wine and love wine with a passion, but don't necessarily want to make it a hobby right now. Right. Um, I, I think it's a benefit, um, which is a good segue because I... These are two important things I want you to talk about. Um, one is, you know, and you don't have to spend a lot of time, even though you could, is, you know, what the core mission statement of Avino is. And then I want you to take, you know, a little time just to walk people that are not familiar with the site, how it works and what it does. And one of the words you mentioned a couple times was casual. And I think this is really, you know, the important consumer um, that can benefit from this and an important consumer to you. So what's the core? Does it tie into that, you know, casual wine person? And then let's talk about, you know, OK, somebody told me about this. So I'm going to check it out. But let's hear it from Heine. You know, sure. tell me what that is. I love Go so. ahead. So I think if, if you look at your show, for instance, right, the people you have on this show are not casual wine drinkers, right? These are people that know their stuff, right? They are sommeliers, restaurateurs that really, really know the industry. And my job is... So wait, is Heine, let me interrupt for a second. For my, which I hate to do, but I'm great <laughs> at. Yeah. For my listeners and for you, 
Um, this is not an industry show um, because there's not a lot of great podcasts out there. We get everybody, including the industry. The show is really skewed for the consumer. You know, that's why I don't like to get too nerdy. And, you know, yeah. having a Vivino on, you know, gives them that opportunity. Um, you know, that that's... That's why it's important. So everyone listening is, you know, of every level. So I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, I understand, which I appreciate. But I'm actually not talking about the people that are listening. I'm talking about the people you really bring on the show because most people want to learn from the experts, right? Mm-hmm. But 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 what we're here for is actually to help people drink better wine. And 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 when it comes to that, it's about using the app, our product, to make have a better and easier way to make a decision, right? And and we right. can get into um, uh, what the product, yeah, maybe we should get into that. That's, a, that's a, a good segue into that. But the core of this feature is really that you, you install Vivino on your phone. You can take a picture of any wine bottle in the world and we'll tell you, you know, ratings, reviews, what it tastes like, what does it cost and so on and so forth. And, and although we have people, you know, I'm sure a lot of not only your listeners, but also the, the guests on your show, you know, the app, we really, we built it for the casual wine drinkers. But now that we've become so big, we really have a lot of incredible people using the app that contribute to the, you know, the largest wine community in the world. Right. So it, it, it skews to everyone because the, the database is so big. I mean, it's just a yeah. great resource. Um, another interesting thing is when you launch the company and you confirm this, I mean, it really, you didn't even reach out to wine experts like, oh, <laughs> you know, we don't know much about wine. So let me get it. You, you kind of stayed true to that course, right? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. And, and the, the philosophy, again, like uh, there's nothing, you know, these, I respect these people so much that really know wine and, and know their industry. And, you know, what's nicer than having a Psalm come to you, help you, guide you through the, uh, the list of wines at a restaurant. That's an incredible privilege. In the real world, however, we go to mostly to restaurants that don't have a psalm, right? And, and right. that's where we are uh, to help you. And I think that's, uh, that's super important. Right. Now, what about you personally? I mean, have you become a wine guy? Um, the app and building the app, you know, has that put you in a place where you've become a Burgundy lover or <laughs> Chablis or California? I mean, what if, what was that growing experience for you? They, they say that, you know, all the journeys are different, but you always end up in Burgundy. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, yeah. Um, I look, so I lived in California for the past uh, seven years. Right. So I must say, I've really enjoyed the, the, the local stuff there, you know, uh, yeah. the, the Napa caps, but also the, the Pinots, both the Californians, also the Oregon ones. So, so I've enjoyed everything I could access to there. And obviously I know more about wine than I did 10 years ago. Right. Otherwise I'd be kind of ignorant, but I really want to hold on to, you know, how would the, the, the casual wine drinker use the app? And um, we really, everything we build, you know, we, we want to build for that. Let me give you an example, right? We have, as we talked about investors and investments, and, 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 and these people come to me with ideas, and they're not all great. I mean, uh, one guy came to me the other day and said, you know, you know, I love the app, but I really need to be able to have two wine cellars, like one in the house in New York and one in Aspen, right? I mean, that just isn't the big <laughs> use case that you have two wine cellars, right? <laughs> right. It's very funny. Um, 
you know, the app is international. I mean, it's not uh, anybody can get it anywhere and use it anywhere, which is wonderful. So you have users all over the world. But I think when people use an app, they want to get some sense, you know, that it's either local or pays attention to where they are. Um, How do you make that user feel like they're part of that, you know, local community? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really good question, and you're totally right about that, that it, it's sort of language and so on is incredibly important. So I might have lost the count right now. We just launched Polish, but we're up to like 22 languages or 23 wow. languages right now. Uh, so we really want to make it as international as possible. And we do all kinds of small things to, to help feel that. Uh, for instance, if you look at the reviews inside the app, you will see that if you're in the U.S., the English ones will be more likely to be shown. But if you're in France, you know, the French ones will be pushed up a little bit. And, and this has really been, for instance, take France as an example, whereas the U.S. grew really quickly for us. The first language was English for the app. Uh, but once we launched it in French... Uh, France has grown really, really fast. So they start a little bit later, but uh, but now the ball is really rolling in France because they you know feel it's more local. And when I'm in Italy, right. I just say with the name Vivino, it sounds like an Italian app. So that's fine. That's easy. Right. Um, I have a whole bunch of things to put you know the app together for the user and understanding it better. We talked about the idea, not the idea. We talked about the fact that you go to Vivino to purchase wines. Yep. Um, let's talk about that because that's important. Tell me about the the, the wine buying component for the user for yep. Vivino. You know when did when did that. Was that the idea from the beginning? Um, did you realize you should be doing it? It took time to get it going? Uh, you know, because you're, uh, you're the largest online wine retailer. Yeah, I think I, I, I would almost say all of the above, right? So, so we actually had this idea from the beginning. And, and it's not like that does not make us geniuses. It's pretty, it makes a lot of sense to think that, hey, you can scan a bottle of wine and then you can buy it after. I think what we figured out once we really started pushing that in 2016 or so, that that was going to be incredibly hard to build. So right. so we really spent the last five years really, really building that features, feature. We have uh, around 700 partners around the world that actually do uh, the shipping and so on. So it's a really right. quite a complex venture. I think what's also important here is that how well it aligns with what we want to do. Because... Everything we do is is about sort of taking down the risk when you buy wine, right? Is it in a safe way or is it online? Doesn't really matter. Vino helps you make that decision. I think that's that's very, very important. And so it's very aligned with that. Once you open the app, we'll give you recommendations that we think you'll like that are good wines and so on. So so it matches really well that mission. Right. Well, um, did, did your wine partners, selling partners, escalate during the pandemic, as you mentioned? I mean, is that... People yeah. came to you? Yes, very much. So, and, and the numbers, like we're pretty transparent about our numbers. So, so in 2019, we sold wine for 130 million. And when we got to 2020, we had more than doubled that to $265 million. So, so massive, more than 100% growth over, over that year. Yes. Massive. Do you think online buying will replace retail or take a huge bite of it? out of it because i mean look what amazon has done you know to local retailers in a sense yeah i i think my opinion on that has really evolved um i'm starting to think that 
at least a big part of the market will be mostly online. Um, I think, you know, uh, I, I always wish the best for the industry, but the facts are probably that brick and mortar wine after this pandemic is not going to be as strong as it was before for many reasons, like supply is also going to go down, right? You know, right. the one brick and mortar store that was down the road here somewhere, maybe was struggling a little bit before. Well, it's not going to be there anymore, right? So, so, so there's going to be two levels here. First, you know, the pandemic drives people over to online and then suddenly you lose some of the supply that drives even more people to online. Um, just, just to give you another example of that, one of the highest penetrations in the world on e-commerce in wine is China. And, and what's the reason for that? Well, one of the reasons is that historically, there haven't been a lot of brick and mortar, right? So there haven't been good alternatives. If you live in France, that's a very, very different situation. You walk 100 meters right. and, and you have a wine store, right? China's a pretty good uh, market. <laughs> Yes. Size-wise, if you're not going to have a lot of retail, if you're in the online game, I got to say, right? Exactly. That's crazy. Um, and again, you know, because you're a global player, you know, every country, continent comes into play. For sure. Um, I, I want to talk to you about ratings and algorithms and all that type of stuff. Um, people have been so caught up on wine ratings. Um are they still valuable? And, you know, they used to be dished out by a handful of guys, which, yep. you know, wasn't very democratic. Um, <laughs> that's changed. And, you know, nobody better than you to talk about the change. But are they still valuable? Um, why are your ratings different? Um, and then, you know, tell me how they're done and placed and all that. Yeah. So I think I think there are a couple of things there. First of all, this all started with with Parker, and he started like early eighties, late seventies, I think. Right. And is you know was incredibly good at this, and and uh, and people loved that. So so I you know I'm a little bit of a numbers person too. That I like numbers. I like having a score, a rating on things. But I think there are. Uh, and, and as much as I appreciate these professionals rating wine and so on, there are some problems. I think the the biggest fundamental problem there is scalability, right? It, the fact is that when you walk into a supermarket in London or in Copenhagen or wherever you were, it was going to be hard to find any wine that Robert Parker had ever rated, right? So as an example, these wines that most people drink are not rated by the experts. And just to put a little extra juice on that, like the if you have someone like Parker, the full organization or Wine Spectator, they would rate around 20,000 wines a year, right? And that right. sounds like, you know, that's decent. But we get 100,000 ratings a day, right? So they do 20,000 a year, we get 100,000 a day. So but wait, differentiate for me. Is that 100,000 different wines or 100,000 ratings? It's 100,000 ratings on whatever wines people rate, okay. right? Right. So, so it's more volume. It's and so least, much more volume, right? right? And also, yeah. it means that you, when you walk into a supermarket, wherever you are in the world, it's highly likely that almost all of them have rated by Vivino users. And that's just, that's the capacity that, that this brings, that the scalability that every single wine, you can expect it to be rated on Vivino. Now... What do we call that? Do we call that like peer peer rating, crowdsource rating? Or community ratings, yeah. Community rating. I yeah. mean, you know, you're all about community. So you're getting a democratized spread 
um, sure. of a particular product. I mean, that, that, that differentiates you, you know, from a blogger or from a famous magazine, you know, or, or anything else. Um, all right. So you get all this information fed in. Um, so how are the user reviews and ratings done? I mean, you take all the information, let's, are, are they, how are they positioned, posted? You know, I'm sure you have algorithms, you, you know, you could tell me how much of how you make the sausage you want. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's actually, I can tell you most of it because it's really uh, not as complicated as you would think. If you look at the ratings on, on the app, on our website, it is simply an average of the ratings that are given. So other platforms uh, do like fancy algorithms for this and they have to i mean a lot of the restaurant platforms they have to skew it towards the people that they can trust we've right. not seen a need to do that um we we have people here and there that sort of misuse the system but fundamentally i think the difference is that you tend to get less mad at a bottle of wine than you get at a waiter <laughs> at a restaurant right a waiter can piss you off apparently which will take you True. straight to one star right but yeah. with a bottle of wine, if you don't like it, well, we'll give it a two or a three star. That's fine. So, so we have really nice distribution of our ratings and so on. So, so that part is really not that complicated. Right. Um, so okay. because you have so many ratings. Yeah. Can I add a and, little bit? Of a, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. It's just, just one thing that, so when we look at what people want to know about a wine, um, we say, Hey, what are you most interested in when you, when you look up a wine, right? Number one is rating. Right. Number two is actually price, no surprise there. Right. But the third thing is really the taste. And and taste, how do you get that? And I think I just want to uh, make sure your listeners know this. We have this unique thing which we call uh, taste characteristics. It means that we've actually read through all these, machine learning, AI, and so on, read through all the reviews right. and put together a profile of the wine, uh, which I think is just something I'm very, very proud of. Uh, to see is it light, is it bold, and so on and so forth. Even the tasting notes, you can see exactly what it tastes like uh, before you buy it, right? And nobody's ever done that at scale. Obviously, a, a great sum could do that manually, but doing that at scale with millions of users, I think has been incredibly cool. And just it's just this really cool feature now. I agree. I mean, you know, the descriptors of what people like or what's going to get the right bottle in front of them. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the key things to getting the right wine in your glass. At a restaurant, the psalm should talk to you about price, you know, should talk to you about what you like, you know, what have you drank and all of that, you know, and any of the other information. And all that's available, you know, on um, Vivino, which is important. Um, yeah. What... Um, so if I'm going on the site, which I've been on a million times, um, if I'm going on the site and I'm looking for something, things are going to pop up. Yeah. How, how do they get there? I mean, like you said, there's 100,000 reviews a day. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm interested in maybe a Sancerre that's, you know, not too bright or whatever. Um, how, how does the particular recommendations come up for me. Sure, yeah. So first, I think most people have the app installed. That's really how they get started. And right. they see the magic of the app giving you instant information about any wine in the world. And they think, wow, this is amazing. And um, then we, we really, 
we've done a few things which I think are really, really interesting. The first page on the app is just a recommendation section. So the more you use the app, the better we will be at recommending wines that we think you'll like. And, right. and that section is just improving and improving. The other part is the second tab in the app, which I'm, uh, I'm really, really proud of. Is it's, we call it search or explore. It's just a way to imagine if you were you're buying an airline ticket or something like that. We've made a, a sort of a browse product where you can do that. And you, if you want a Sancerre, you would actually quickly click on one tab on the tab and just say uh, Sancerre, and boom, we will show you the best Sancerres you can get at any price point, right? So you just have right. a slider. You know, I don't want to pay more than twenty bucks for this Sancerre. You know, it's 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 the mother-in-law that's coming. Not not too big a budget. And right. then we'll just show you the best one, right? And you can do that in any category. And maybe you say, no, no, I just want the best red. You can click red and say $15, we will show you the highest rated red. So it's it's a lot of fun to play around with. Yeah. Um, I hate to even bring this up, but it sort of is a, a Spotify of wine too, right? Yeah. You know, with recommendations and as you use it, it gets to understand you more you know, and the recommendations are more accurate. Do you agree with that? Very much so, yeah, definitely. The The, the biggest uh, difference is that they have like an amazing feedback loop, right? Because they will much faster know if you liked it or not. Like if you put this song on and you skip right away, he didn't like that song much. We have to, you have to actually drink the wine and, and so on. But we have all the scans, right? So we know you scanned this one and then rated three stars. So we learn right. from all that. Right. My context, you know, when I initially asked the question was the newer user, you know, once you get on and you start becoming active, you know, then the associations and the relationship really grows, um, yep. which is a nice thing. Um, Heine, we have to take a quick break. Um, when we come back, you know, I have a few more questions uh, that I want to talk about, you know, where you're going and all of that. I forgot to mention to you, I do a thing called the wine list where I ask all my guests their wine preferences. I'm curious to hear about yours. We're talking to Heine Zachariasen. Heine is the founder of Avino. You're listening to The Grape Nation on Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch. The Hearst family has raised cattle on California's central coast since 1865. Today, Hearst Ranch's signature product is their 100% grass-fed, completely hormone and antibiotic-free beef. The Hearst Ranches have always treated their animals with great care. Their cattle live a completely natural existence as foragers and grazers. Well-managed grazing fertilizes the land naturally sustains a seasonal rhythm to the ranches, and produces a remarkable meat whose flavor is the authentic taste of the American West. Hearst Ranch beef is available seasonally, May through August, in select Whole Food markets throughout California, and all year round at their retail locations in San Simeon and Paso Robles. And now, HRN listeners in Arizona, Nevada, and California can get Hearst Ranch beef delivered right to their door through Larder Meat Company. Go to lardermeatco.com and shop the 100% grass-fed box to stock your freezer with Hearst Ranch beef. That's L-A-R-D-E-R meatco.com. 
Learn more about the storied history, farming practices, and conservation efforts of Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Okay, we're back. We're back with my guest, Heine, Heine Zachariasen. Heine founded uh, Vivino over a decade ago. Um, and you are celebrating 10 years. That's true. 10, 11 years, right? Yeah, more 11 now, yeah. Um, we're going into the 11th year. Sure. And, you know, ironically, we talked about the pandemic and couple of exciting things happened. You celebrated your 10th anniversary, and was it last year or was yeah. it early this year that you raised a nice chunk of money? <laughs> yeah, that was right um, now. Yeah. In capital. Um, so a few things. The first thing's a statement. I mean, that's definitely a validation that people that know out there think you're worth throwing money at. Um, but what are your plans for growth, you know, now that you have capital, what are the important things that you need to do? Yeah, I think, I think obviously, like you say, you know, we raised $155 million, so massively big round also. In the wine space, it's, it's, it's not that common, but just to give you an idea about why we think that happened, well, you combine the growth with the really healthy, you know, unit economics, we were profitable two out of four quarters last year. So we've shown wow. that, okay, these guys can grow and, and maybe make money at the same time. And that just becomes really interesting for investors. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to, you know, what we're going to build, I, I think the, the biggest things are really, we really want to double down on the product, meaning, you know, our product engineering just strengthen that massively. I think it's been understaffed for some time and really want to put more resource into that. Right. On top of that, like you said, we're a very international business, right? So we, we're actually, the marketplace is active in 17 countries. Uh, we're in every country in the world, but actual selling of wine, the marketplace thing is in 17 uh, countries. It means that we're, you know, we're a small organization with 200 people. We're pretty spread out. So we want right. to put more people on the ground to serve each market and so on. And then finally, obviously, you know, marketing is, is, is also going to something we do. We do very, very little marketing as we're fortunate that people, you know, talk about our product without us doing too much marketing. Um, yeah, but we should now, probably get into what we're going to build then. What are we actually going to build? But wait, let me ask you a question on marketing. Yep. Um, very early on in the interview, you said people sit down. One guy opens up the vino, shows another, they go, that's great. You know, and then that guy goes home and uses it. That's the best form. What are you doing marketing? Cause you have money and you could do marketing or are there specific <laughs> things, you know, that you could use marketing for? Is it just uh, imaging top of mind? I mean, you're, is it for the retail component? I think it's going to be mostly for what we call conversion, right? It means that it means that we have a lot of people, like we said, like 20,000 uh, people install the app every day. Obviously, not every one of those turn in, turns into a buyer, and that's fine. But a lot of focus is going to be on the conversion component. Either people that are on the platform already, reminding them they can buy on the platform, right. but also people that don't know Vivino, take them straight in as buyers. I think those are really, really important right. uh, components. And you, I mean, organically you've spent time doing that, but now you'll get into people's faces a little more, which is, exactly. you know, very, yeah. very specific. Um, I didn't ask you this before, but, 
your database is ridiculous. I mean, you know, as far as wine, wine consumption users, you have as much information as anybody. What do you do with that? Do you keep it internal? Does it ever go outside? I mean, what, just tell me what you do with all that information. Yeah. I, I, so first, you know, we're, we're, we see ourselves as very much a data company, right? I think, you know, people see us now, hey, it's this app company. But in the future, I think what, what the real asset is for us is the data that we have and the big community that feeds into that uh, data, right? That's the key here, that it keeps getting richer and richer every single, uh, every single day. And also important to say that, you know, we're, we wouldn't, the, the consumer, the Vivino user, is never the product. So we would never ever sort of sell any data uh, about right. users or anything like other companies do. Uh, right. That said, I think we have interesting data on, you know, uh, how people should, you know, what should they l- learn from the users? Like, what do people say about the latest vintage? Where is our wines being sold? Where are wines being seen and so on? So we're starting to build some products for the industry. Uh, we have something called Vivino sponsorships, which includes a data component where where producers can get more information about what their what their users are saying. Right? I mean, a lot right. of these guys, you know, they will send a, a few containers to a distributor and never really get a feedback loop, and we can really help them with that. Yeah, that's very interesting. You know, you could serve a lot of people with that. Um, I mean, you know, data as well as anybody, and it, this is you know flourished into you know the most incredible database. Do you do you have to move beyond the internet to grow, or everything you need to do is online? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, I I think we might. I mean, our vision is really wherever people make decisions on buying a wine or drinking a wine, we'd love to be. And, and I don't think everything is going to be online like tomorrow. So do we want to have a presence at Safeway? Yes, probably. Uh, so yes, we're very open to that. And we have done a few partnerships with that. Uh, just to give you another idea about those things is, you know, we're partnering with Snapchat. So Snapchat right. has a feature inside the app. When you point at a bottle of wine, they, they serve up our ratings. And the same does Samsung in their Bixby feature. So right. we have, those are obviously online, but that could also be offline. Wait, so, uh, you, you know, I read about this. I'm familiar. So you go to Snapchat, you know, they now offer for their wine-loving uh, users uh, an opportunity to scan. And that's where you partner or provide uh tech info i mean explain that to me yeah basically they have this sort of product recognition feature where they want to know as many products as as they can and and whenever that's a wine they will actually uh, show us the picture and say hey do we know this wine and we say yeah of course we know we have 1.5 billion pictures of wines and and then we go back to them with a rating review and so on so they get like a basic information inside the snapchat app it looks really quite cool and yeah. um, and then if they want more information, they can click on a link and go visit our website too. So so that's the integration because Snapchat wants to do this, but they're not going to build a, a full database of wine. Uh, that's going to take them a while. Makes total sense. And they got to you first too. So they took <laughs> yes. care of that, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about the size, 50 million users, billion plus scans, billion and a half, you know, very engaged um, people as they drink more wine and use the app, you know, get all these recommendations, options they can buy. Um, what are, what are you, you mentioned one, what are some of the other things you can do to utilize 
the fact that you have this presence, you know, with this, you know, wine community. I mean, do you do editorial? You know, like you said, maybe you'll expand out into a safe way. You know, where do you take this bull and, you know, really make it, you know, run? Yeah. I, obviously, that's a debate we have all the time, um, meaning what do we do a year from now? What do we do two years from now and so on? The, one of the biggest bets this year uh, I, I think is incredibly interesting, and that's what we call personalization. So, so imagine we have all this data about wines, all these wines, everything you can imagine about all this wine. On the other hand, we have all these users. We also know a lot about them. So, so we're starting to merge that together in creating more personalization because what I think is a 4.1 wine uh, as a rating, you might think is a 3.5, right? So we have different opinions about that. So we're, we're, we just started rolling out uh, this new feature, which we call Match For You. And basically right. what it does is that we'll keep the rating up there, but we'll also give you a percentage on how likely we think you'll like this wine. And that's based on all these, you know, billion scans and all those things that we put all those things together and say, you know, it's probably very likely that he's not going to like this wine or he is going to like this wine. And that is incredibly useful uh, for a lot of people. That's, that's a big part of the game right there. You know, cause when we talked about, you know, people's taste and profiles, it just cause a wine is rated high may have every opposite profile of what they like. I mean, to Bo to people, Bordeaux sometimes can be, you know, dry and, you know, pencil shavings and graphite, and people just want a sweet, you know, unctuous wine. You know, so if you can get that match there, I mean, that's people will, will go crazy, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I find it really, really useful. And, and like computers are good with data and numbers, right? They will find connections that we don't know. I mean, an example is I, you know, I love champagne and, and I noticed that some champagnes were just gave, kept giving me a lower match for you. I was a little bit surprised by that. And then I looked and I realized that it's because that the ones that are made of Chardonnay only, apparently ah, I sometimes rate them a little bit lower and the algo had seen that and said, Hey, you, you might like this one, but not as much as this one. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Um, all right, before we get to my wine list, I want to ask you, uh, this may be an uncomfortable question, but it seems like you got it right. You know, you're growing, um, even in the toughest of times, you've been able to grow. I mean, is this a business you want to build and own, or is this a business you build and make it so good and just sell it to Amazon or Google and then just fly around the world the rest of your life <laughs> in private jets. I mean, where, where you, because, you know, I said you're a serial entrepreneur, but I, you know, knowing you a little and talking to you, I mean, that wasn't the whole game that you went into. You get juiced by other things, but you know, what's the future as far as that independence or not? Yeah. It's, it's a great question, right? And I'm not sure we have sort of, a, we don't know the answer yet, but for me, I, I get motivated by building stuff that people love and use and preferably stay there. Um, it, right. I mean, we've built a brand now, we've built something a lot of people know, so I think it's going to stay there, but, but, what, but how is it going to stay there? I think that's a very interesting question. I, but I must say now, after this really strong year and last funding here, I think it, 
and I would love for this company to be a publicly owned company, right? So is this going to be big enough to uh, to there be owned go. by you know everyone who wants to own a piece of it? I would right. love to see that happen and, and see this company live for a very, very long time. That's, that's, a, um, that's a nice aspiration. Um, well, I wish you, you know, the best of luck with all of that. Um, Heine, I want to subject you to our wine list. I've been doing this on every show since the beginning. I ask everyone the same five questions. I post them on our social media. So we have a database of all these cool people and what their wine preferences are, <laughs> um, which is kind of neat because I think when people get engaged with a guest, you know, and they're into wine and that person is, it's like, what's this guy drinking? Um, so I'm going to ask you five questions. Uh, don't dwell on them. Uh, be spontaneous. I didn't prepare you for this. So, you know, I'll give you a second or two to think. So the first question is, what are you drinking now? What's in your fridge? What are you curious to taste? Have the seasons changed? You know, what you were drinking to what you're drinking now? What's Heine drinking now? Good. Okay. Fantastic question as ever. So when you say now, you don't mean literally now because I have iced coffee in my cup. No, it's, no. I mean, no. you know, just like, like this past weekend sure. where you're looking forward to drink, you know, yep. what you're changing. Let, let me tell you a couple of funny things that I've been drinking because I, I, I do like to experiment a little bit, right? And I also do like uh, like cheese quite a lot, right? So, okay. so recently, you know, there is these really fancy sauternes from Bordeaux, right? Mm -hmm. And then this suggestion came up for a, a sweet wine from, from not from Sauternes, but like a Sauternes style. Right. And it's a French sweet wine. And it was just amazing. And in, in over here, it cost in Denmark that's hundred. It cost fifteen dollars, right? And that right. I think was fantastic. I, I do like these sweet wines. You, with what, cheese. what was it? Do you remember what it was? I I have it in front of me, but this is all in, in French. So I. Um, all right. So we're from, gonna have somebody. In, um, we're gonna have somebody uh, translate that. Yeah. And then I will email you because when I post it, you know, I'll try to be we'll, specific. We'll have links on there. Yeah, yeah. What, so it's not, what yeah. cheese? Well, I oh, wow! Now we're we're going really French here. Um, I have a specific cheese that I really do enjoy, and I think it's the best cheese in the world. Are, are you getting close? Can you think you can guess guess what it is? Comte. It's an Epoisse. Okay, I do you know Epoisse? Not well. Okay, it's it's from Burgundy. It's it's quite powerful, um, and it's just a fantastic cheese, I must say. Um, so a sauterne-like sweet wine from France, which you'll tell me about, and uh, the Apoise cheese yes. made in the Burgundy region. That's a first. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's good. <clears throat> anything else you're drinking? So now we're in the experimental thing here. Like, again, mostly I will drink red wine like caps and peanuts. We talked about that, so it is a little bit boring. Right. So, so the other day, another thing popped up here, which I thought, I want to try this too. And, and, and this was a, a, it's called a, it's a French thing called a Blanc Limé, I think. Um, which is like a like a semi-sweet sparkling wine from France, and I also oh. found that to be incredibly interesting. I'm a, like I've I've drank a lot of soda in my life, and also <laughs> lived in the U.S. for seven years, so you you do get used to sugar, right? Oh boy, you gotta get you gotta get rid of it now. That's why some of the most popular wines in the U.S. are yeah. you know wines with you know, higher residual sugar, you know, stuff exactly. like the prisoner and all that. Yeah. All right. You may have answered this, but I'm going to make you dig for another one. Favorite wine and food pairing. 
So we know that sweet wine and the cheese goes well, but what what something you don't necessarily eat every night, every week, every month, but what 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 to you, not what you recommend as a good pairing, but what you like as a good wine and food pairing. Yeah. I, I honestly think I, I, yeah, I'm afraid I've said it already, but but I think especially Epoise has this okay. really fermented thing and that the harmony with wine there is just crazy i think it, it's it's i think they okay you know, the, the french they they built their cheese for wine obviously that's that's a good one like i said nobody's ever you know said that before all right third question you travel a bit um i don't want you to leave anybody out and see if you can answer this do you have restaurants or restaurant wine bars that stand out to you, a favorite where you walk in and the selection is cool and the people <laughs> are knowledgeable and the environment feels good. I mean, does anything come to mind or you feel too exclusive if you say one and not another? What, I, what's, I, what are good places? Yeah, I, I must say I, I feel spoiled more than anything, honestly, because I do travel How? a lot. But I travel okay. a lot. I get to go to these places, and I, I speak at a conference about wine or about food. And where do you think they're going to take me? They're going to take us to the best place in town, right? Right. So, so, so I have to be careful. Um, but, but you know, I've been to you know so many amazing places around the world. It's really, really hard for me uh, to distinguish. I, I've been to so there's- one thing. I will mention though is is you know Port- Portugal and and Porto around that area it is just incredibly beautiful there and there's just lots of in this case port but also just red wine and white wine that it, it's just an amazing area around Porto I think I took my family there a couple of years ago and we went to Alentejo and Porto and the Douro and I, I agree with you I mean it's just amazing. the people the wine the food you know, the geography, it is pretty amazing. I mean, I think it rivals France and Italy um, for almost everything. Um, all right, good one. All right, because, you know, your exposure to wine came a little later and, you know, by way of a vino, I ask the question to people, what's their favorite all-time wine? And I always say this, when I initially uh, structured the question i was hoping like what's the most expensive rare wine you ever drank I, I don't care about that anymore can you think of a wine that has an important impact on you that you drank you know that was a changing point for you you know that you tasted something and that's when you knew you loved burgundy or what what what's an important wine you know what's a i don't want to say life-changing but an impact wine I think I'll I'll mention, and this is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to mention a wine that I really dislike now. Okay, <laughs> and that's and that's one. just it's just an example of the journey, right? It's and this is when I when I started drinking wine uh, early on, and I, I didn't understand much about wine, uh, but someone served me a a Australian Shiraz called Molly Duker. And have you have you tried it? I know I know it well. It's a big, <laughs> I, you know, that's what made Australia hot, and then they yeah. went away because of those. You know, Napa yeah. went through that a little. I forgot the guy who makes the wine, but he's a famous guy. 
Yeah, but it's cool, right? It's it's so yeah, so, cool labels and all. Yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. But it was like seventeen percent or something like that. I was like, what yeah. is this thing? And for me, so like red wine was maybe red wine, whatever. This wine comes along and said, this is special. I like this. This <laughs> tastes like. And now it's like, yeah, not so much anymore. But all credit to them. Like they're gonna get a lot of people into the industry and and loving wine and so on. So I think they do an amazing product for a specific audience. So. So nothing bad about that. I just prefer other stuff today. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it's a wine that caught your attention. Exactly. You know, got you to look a little closer and then, you know, move along. Um, I, I guess sometimes people's favorite wines or the wines that had an impact are also like a gateway wine, too. Yeah. Um, which is funny. All right. This you should probably be able to answer better than any guest I've ever had. Oh, on no pressure. Two. No pressure. I'm not done, though. In the 200 plus interviews that I've done and posted all over social media. So, like I said, these are the same questions for everybody. So the question is, what is the best wine you could recommend for around 15, 20 bucks? I'm looking for a red and I'm looking for a white. And I've always set up the question with I have kids, you know, they're in their 20s. They can't show up to dinners or give gifts, you know, with crappy supermarket wine. And no. they can't afford, you know, $40, $50 bottles yet, you know, but they want to be cool and show up with cool wine. So what what... What are the best wines around that price range? And and you could even dig into the data, you know, just from yes. recollection, you know. But, you know, give me, and, and I always say you can give me a category, like Muscadet is a great value, yeah, sure. you know. Or you can give me a maker, you know, that you love. But, you know, give me a couple ideas. I'll give you one that I've really, so first of all, obviously, I would I would pitch our our explorer here where we just set the price. Just tell the kids to set the price. It has to be red. We'll give you the best wine. But something Perfect. that I've been very successful with and like people, you serve it and people love it is, is actually South African Pinotage. Okay. Um, and they are incredibly good value. Uh, for like $15, you will find an amazing wine, really. So, so I would definitely recommend that for, for anyone who wants to try I, something I, really strong. I value. agree wholeheartedly. Um, so Pinotage is the red. Right? Yes. Yes. Now let's recommend a white. Doesn't have to be south. You, you know, give me the same vein. Yeah. Great wine. Um, for me, there, there's no doubt about where I want to go there. Um, I would go to New Zealand. I would do a Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. I think it's like, again, how do they transport this fantastic bottle of wine all the way to wherever in the, in the world? And it costs like $10, $15. It's just amazing. It is, it is pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, do you have to be careful? Like, you know, Australia, you could buy like this incredible artisanal, you know, relatively priced white wine, or you could wind up with Yellowtail. Um, with Sauvignon Blanc, um, do you feel most of what they're pushing out is pretty good? I would just look at the rating and, and when I do, because they're highly rated, right? There would be a 4.0, which is an old 90, right? right? They're all good. If you hit them at 4.0 plus, they're good. That's how right. I see them at least, yeah. So I haven't met a lot of, I'm sure there's some poor ones out there. I've, I've been fortunate so far, I guess. Well, you also brought up a good point. I mean, 
you, you know, I have you on because we're talking about Vivino, and it's all about Vivino. And when I ask you to recommend wines, 15, 20 bucks red and white, I mean, that's sort of what Vivino does. That's their wheelhouse. Yeah. So the Explorer thing um, would do that. And just like you'd go into a good retailer or a sommelier, they're a wealth of information. You know, Vivino's sure. going to give you that information too, which is a great thing. All right, Heine, we got to wrap this up. Hour went pretty quickly. Um, let me do a quick wrap up, and then I want to get some uh, info from you so people Perfect. know where and what to do. So if you have a suggestion, question, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. Um, you can get your podcast via subscription, so subscribe to The Grape Nation. Um, we're on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Um, you could follow the show on Facebook at The Grape Nation, on Instagram, we're at S. Ben Ruby, on Twitter, we're at Ben Ruby, B E N R U B I. I know that's confusing, but you can always use the hashtag The Grape Nation on both to get to where you want to go. Um, we're also trying to build a community on a new platform called Clubhouse, so you can follow us there on Ben Ruby, at Ben Ruby. Um, we'll be talking to a lot of people. Um, as I mentioned, we'll be posting Heine's wine list. Um, I'll get you all the uh, answers that Heine recommended. And Heine, I'm going to follow up with you on that sweet wine from France. Um, so you could look at our social media sites for Heine's answers. Um, Heine, let's give people some information here. If they want to find more information or just jump right into Vivino right now, how do they do that? Yeah, the easiest thing is just, you know, open the App Store or, or Google Play, whatever platform you're on. Just search for Vivino and install the app right away. You know, and you find the nearest bottle of wine and, and you scan it and you'll see magic happen. There you go. We just uh, solved a lot of people's problems if they'll listen to us. Um, if we want to follow Vivino on social media or follow you, see what you're up to, where can we go? Yes, for sure. Vivino is on all, all the big platforms, you know, Twitter, Facebook, obviously the website. Is at really Vivino? Big. Yes, at Vivino, yes. Uh, and, okay. and personally, I want to give a, one push here is that, you know, I'm I'm obviously into startups and I have a, a, a YouTube channel called Raw Startup. So anyone who wants to see some videos on how to build a startup can, can follow me there. I think that'd be great. And I think if people keep an eye on Vivino and see where it goes, they'll probably want to go there. Let's yes. see, how the hell did this guy do that? <laughs> All right, Heine, I want to thank you very much for coming on. You know, I was very interested to see, you know, where things are at, where they're going, how you're doing, and it seems like things are going well. So thank you for taking the time to talk to us on The Grape Nation. I want to thank our engineer, Matt, um, for helping us and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. 
and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.